You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church slash messages. Well, that's, uh, we might look at that and think that's a cute kid's movie. Um, and we might think, boy, I can't identify with that at all. Uh, my kids grew up, that's Prince of Egypt, and my kids uh, grew up watching that, that, that show. It's a great movie. So, hey, uh, let's jump into this, guys. It's, uh, it's, uh, we're going to go through a lot of scripture. And, and here at this church, I love scripture. We love scripture. There's nothing like the word of God. There's nothing more powerful than the word of God. Um, but I, I thought it's just a good practice for us. I felt led by the Lord again. Um, you know, just in the book of Ezra, you read about uh, people when they heard the word of the God, they stood up. So let's do that again, guys. I think it's a sign of, of, our, of our attention to the word of God. Um, I'm going to read four chapters right now while we're standing up. <laughs> Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 7 says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you. And Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave his country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn. So I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment when I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know, let's read that out loud, that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. God, we humble ourselves before you, and, and Lord, uh, more than anything, we want an encounter with your spirit, O oh God. We need you. We are desperate for you, Lord. Would you move here in a special way? I pray for those who are watching online right now, would you move in their room or their car, wherever they're watching, God, would you just stir their hearts as well? Would you encourage us, God, and strengthen us? I pray for healing across our land. Again, God, I pray for those who have COVID. I pray that they are healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray for our president and his family that he's healed as well, Lord. I pray that we turn from our wicked ways and turn to you, God. Do that, Lord. Our hope is in you, Lord. Our faith is in you, God. Our trust is in your word. And we humble ourselves right now. Would you give God permission to move and just say, God, I need to hear from you. Speak to me. Just tell him, speak to me. Open my heart and my mind. Give me ears to hear. Do your thing, God. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our, our Lord, our Savior, the risen one, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. 
Those of you online, thank you so much for joining. Uh, my prayer is you have this encounter with God right where you're at. My, that's my genuine prayer. As I looked at this passage, I, I mean, it's, there's just so much in these chapters that, as, as you read, but there's something that happens <clears throat> it, well, you, you, we, in chapter five. You read early on, um, Pharaoh, you just kind of see his heart a little bit, and he says this, um, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So you get this, this vibe from Pharaoh early on that he, has no, he doesn't know God, and, and it's a very different response. You know, last, last week, remember, Moses, I want to make sure our camera guys get a close-up of this. Last week, if you remember, the question was, let's see if I can do this <clears throat> right. The question God, or Moses rather, Moses asked, asked God was, was, who am I? That was his question. And I told you last week, the Lord just put it on my heart that for the rest of Moses' life, uh, literally, uh, God was, was showing Moses who I am. And, and that's what God does. He does that with us today. You know, we're on this journey learning who God is, who God is. And that's what you see. And, and here, Pharaoh's response was, who is the Lord? Moses' response was, who am I? Two completely different attitudes. One has a lot of pride and arrogance, and another has a lot of humility. Uh, Pharaoh did not know the God of Moses, and Egypt did not know the God of Moses. So during this time, Israel is now living in this place called Goshen, and Israel's been living there for right around 350 years. And now God is sending Moses, and now the hammer is coming down. In fact, these, these famous plagues that happen, uh, many Bible scholars believed it happened over a period of nine months, over nine months. Um, Egypt has about 114 gods. Could you imagine keeping track of 114 gods? There was a god for, for everything, literally. So, so the idea that Moses has a God or Israel has a God, that was not offensive. What was offensive for Pharaoh was that the Hebrew God has authority over the Egyptians' God. That's what was offensive. Your God is better than my God. Now I'm offended. You know, we live in a pluralistic society, and a pluralistic society is this one. It's where people believe all kinds of different things and tolerate each other's beliefs even when they don't match your own. That's the society we live in right now. Today, we become offended if we say, my God is the true God. Today, we're offended <laughs> if I say, my God says this, and if it goes against your grain, your God, your theology, you're offended. You're offended. In fact, there are certain scripture verses that if I were to read out of God's word and read to you, some of you would be offended and say, I'm not going to go to that church anymore. It's right in the Bible. See, see, this idea of this pluralistic society says, you know what, you can believe whatever, whatever, whatever you want. In 2016, we're, we're, we're more like Pharaoh than we care to admit, guys. Sometimes we look at Pharaoh and say, well, you know what, I don't walk around with that big head thing, and I don't have a staff, and I don't have gold, and I don't have women bowing down to me, although some of you men would love that. And you think like that, but we're more like Pharaoh than we care to admit. In 2016, Oxford Dictionary announced its word of the year. 
It didn't get a lot of, of headlines, but I want you to know what the word of the year is. This is in 2016. Here was the word, post-truth. Post-truth is an adjective defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, your feelings are more important than objective facts. Your feelings are more important than objective facts. Your opinion, how you feel, your personal belief is more important than objective facts. Here's what it says. There is no authority but my authority. That's the spirit of post-truth. Here's the bottom line. Let me just say it this way. I get to choose the God that makes me happy. That's post-truth. I get to choose the God that makes me happy. So I can look at God and say, well, I don't like, I don't like, you know, I don't like this page. I'm, I'm not going to rip the pages out of my Bible, but <laughs> I don't like this page. I don't care much about this. And I don't, I don't care. So you might develop your own God and maybe your God is all grace. There's no expectation of living a life of obedience. God overlooks that thing that you do at night. God overlooks this and God overlooks this and God overlooks this. In fact, everybody's going to go to heaven unless you like some sort of serial killer and that's it. Everyone's going to go to heaven. Maybe that's your theology. Well, this post-truth theology says you get to choose your own God and your feelings and your emotions, your opinions, they override any objective fact. He, he, Exodus chapter 10. You get this vibe where, as, as, I don't know why I keep saying vibe. I don't know where that's coming from. But you, you, get, you get this feeling when you look at these chapters that God really wants Egypt to know that he's way better than their 114 gods. But it's not only Egypt. It's, of course, it's Pharaoh and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And, you know, you see that over and over in this passage. Pharaoh's heart is hardened or God's hardening his heart. You see that over, which is will just really mess with your theology as well. But the other, the other fact is Israel has been living in Goshen now for about 350 years. They've been living right next to, in, in Egypt, a group of people that have been worshiping 114 gods. Now, uh, scripture says bad company corrupts good habits. If you run with friends and they have a certain theology, you just need to know eventually it'll probably become your theology. If they influence you enough and you look up to them and this kind of thing. And so they've been neighboring. So now God wants to show Pharaoh. God wants to show Egypt. And now God wants to show Israel that there's no God like the God of Moses. There's no God like the God of the Hebrews. And he almost has to like take, take Israel like through detox or something because all they know are these Egyptian gods. And they've, they've been there and, and they, it's like God has to get Egypt out of Israel. 
And the way he's gonna get Egypt out of Israel, he's going to displace some crazy miracles and then he's gonna lead them out as well. But he's gotta get Egypt out of their hearts, out of their minds. And check it out. Here it is, chapter 10. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them. And let's read this last part out loud, guys. And that you may know that I am the Lord. There it is. That's the heart of God. As I was praying about this whole message and I'm looking at these chapters and that's what the Lord showed me. Like this is the verse right here. God wants Egypt and Pharaoh and Israel and even Moses to know who God is. Do you know that there's no God like our God? Do you think about that just a little bit? Do you really know there's no God like our God? I mean, if you really know that, would it, I mean, in the core of your heart, would it change your decision making? My, my guess, there's an area of your life, all of us, there might be an area of your life that you haven't surrendered to God. Why not? Why not? God was taking Moses through this life and God is showing him who I am. And sometimes we're all on this journey, but do you really know who God is, and your God is a big God. The word of God is way more powerful than Dr. Fauci's word. You hear that? I respect the medical profession, so please don't hear that, but I'm just telling you the word of God lives forever, lives forever. Think about this, <clears throat> this idea that there is no God like your God. Where will that take you? If you just let that like settle in, let it seep into your heart and to your mind. How would it change the way you look at things? How would it change the way you think about the past? How would it change about the, way, the, the unknown of life? How would it change? How would it change? See, wrap, wrap your head around God's word and, and, and what it says. Don't wrap your head around opinions or, or your, personal, your personal feelings, whatever that may be. There's no God like our God. The 10 plagues, you read about them in Exodus chapter 7, uh, verse 14, all the way through chapter 11, verse 10. There's these 10 judgments, that's another word. Um, what's the purpose of these plagues? Uh, one Bible scholar said it like this, they are to demonstrate to Egypt the impotence of its gods, and by contrast, the incomparability of Yahweh, God of Israel, as the one supreme sovereign God of creation who uses the phenomena of the natural order for his own purposes. And see, this, this, even, this, this whole passage even blows away science. I, I believe if you look close enough at science, you'll see God. I really believe that. God took Israel out of Egypt. Here it is. Here's the first plague. There's 10 of them. First one involves some blood. Chapter 7, verse 17. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with his staff in my hand 
and the river will turn to what church? The fish in it will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt. All its rivers, canals, ponds, and the reservoirs turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood. Even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. Now the Nile, just a little history about the Nile. During this time, the Nile and the Nile Basin was the center of economic vitality for this region. Um, in fact, the Egyptians had gods over the Nile, over the Nile, because, the, because as the Nile goes, so does the Nile Basin, and so does the economic life of all of Egypt. So the Nile is precious. The Egyptian god over the Nile was a god named Happy, H-A-P-I. And this God, this responsibility of this God was bringing fullness of life to the Egyptians. So you could imagine when the, the Nile turned to blood. You know, God's making a point right here. He's saying he is greater than this false God named Happy. And here's the crazy thing. When you read about this story, you read about the Egyptians figured something out. They, they, they recognized where the Nile was, but they recognized if we could dig a ditch by the Nile, there was drinkable water. So they started digging ditches right by the Nile, and that's how they got by this plague with these ditches. It's incredible. And it just, the Lord just told me, here, here's what I want to share with you. Some people would rather have a ditch than the living water. Some people are okay with that ditch that they dug for themselves, and it's not the authentic living water. <laughs> it's not the Nile. It's not the living water that we read about in the New Testament. His name is Jesus. So they get this temporary satisfaction out of their own hands or whatever it is, and they become satisfied with the water that comes from the ditch. The other plague had to do with frogs. I so wish I had like an aquarium with like 100 frogs with me, like right here. I, I told the staff, wouldn't it be cool to have a bunch of frogs in this message? Anybody just hate frogs? Anybody just hate me? Yeah. Well, frogs during this day, you should know, they were considered to be sacred for the Egyptians. There was a, a frog god, a frog goddess, and her, and her name was Heket, H-E-Q-E-T. And she, she was believed, the frogs were believed to be sacred and not to be killed. So look what God does in chapter eight. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they can worship me. Isn't that amazing? Let's think about that for a little bit. The power of worship. God wants you to worship him. God wants you to worship him. Let my people go so they could worship me. Boy, that sounds like a modern thing right now, doesn't it? <laughs> See, like there's some organizations that need to hear that. Let my people go so they could worship me. Mm, I'll move on. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. Remember, there got to be bloody frogs too, right? Because the Nile is bloody. They will come up out of the river and into your palace, even into your bedroom, and onto your own bed. My dog, 
He comes up on our bed sometimes. Anybody have a dog like that? All right, Lord, help me to forgive my dog. <laughs> they will enter the houses of your officials and your people. They will even jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, your people, and all your officials. It's disgusting, isn't it? Slimy. I grew up hunting, and uh, oh, I just realized I had this. I grew up hunting, and I uh, I remember eating frog legs. Anybody like frog legs? You go to Louisiana or somewhere down there. Frog legs are really good, but I don't think these frog legs are good for eating. And yeah, we're overwhelmed with frogs. God sent in a message. God sent in a message that He is God of the frogs. And he's overwhelming them. One time, uh, Grace and I took a little trip down to, to Texas to visit my family, and, and we were driving up on the north end of, uh, of Texas. And um, as we were driving, we were, we were going to stay at a hotel that we had reserved, and I was pulling into the, gra- uh, the gas station. And do you remember this, baby? Uh, as I was pulling into the gas station, I was like, what is that? And all over the road, there were these like beetles. It was a migration thing that was happening. It was disgusting. And my car, as I was driving, driving over them, all I heard was crunch, 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 crunch. It was gross. And I remember getting into our hotel room and closing the door. And I was thinking, okay, now the beetles are out there. I don't know what those things are. It's just like humidity and bugs and all that stuff. I don't know what those, and they got into our hotel room. I'll never forget that, pushing them off of the bed. And every time I, I read the story in Exodus and I, I, I read about frogs and bugs, I think about those, those beetles. Look what Pharaoh did, verse 15. He says, but when Pharaoh saw that relief had come, because he said, get rid of the frogs. There's too many frogs. When, he, when, when the relief had come, he, become stu- he became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had predicted. So Pharaoh says, no more frogs, and the frogs leave, you know, pray Moses and Aaron, and they leave, and when they leave, the heart of Pharaoh changes. I want to share this with you. Some people want just enough of God's grace so they can feel better about themselves, but not enough to be transformed. Sometimes we just want to, we, we want to have rest from our guilt, Rest from our shame, but we have no intention to turn away from our sin. It's a human nature, and you see some of us have a little bit of Pharaoh inside of us, don't we? Care to admit, we can change our minds after we have some spiritual relief. Third thing is gnats. Gnats. Verse 16, chapter 8 says this, So the Lord said to Moses, "Tell, tell Aaron, raise your staff and strike the ground. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. When Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with his staff, gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals. All the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. Nasty. That's what Grace would say. Nasty. You know, and in, in incidentally, this is the first plague that the magicians were not able to do. The first two, the magicians were able to do it, and Pharaoh was like, well, psh, you know, my boys can do it, no big deal. And the second one, same thing. But this is the first one that the magicians were not able to pull off themselves. First time. 
want you to hear this. Sometimes God allows his people to experience the plague, and other times he protects God's people from the plague. When you read through these plagues, here's what you discover. Five of the plagues the Israelites were protected from, but five of the plagues they were not. So everything that happened in Egypt, they experienced in, in this suburbia area called Goshen. But five, God protected them, and five, God said no. This just reminds me, God has the ability, he has the authority to protect, but sometimes he says, I'm gonna let my, God, I'm gonna let my people go through that as well. I'm gonna let my people go through that as well. Next one has to do with flies. If there was a plague out of all these, I mean, apart from the killing of the firstborn, um, that I would hate the most, it would be flies. I hate flies. There was one flying around me last week and I just about hit it with my baseball bat or something. Uh, verse 20, then the Lord told Moses, get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. You gotta think, every time Pharaoh saw Moses, he was like, are you serious? He's just going down to the river. <laughs> Say to him, this is what the Lord says. There it is again. Let my people go so they can worship me. It pleases God's heart when you jump in your car and drive to church and worship him. It pleases God when you're at home watching online and you stand in front of that screen and you worship God. It pleases God. Scripture says God inhabits the praise of his people. Verse 21 says, if you refuse, then I will send swarms of, what church? Swarms of flies, nasty flies on you. Your officials, your people, and all the houses, the Egyptian homes will be filled with flies, and the ground will be covered with them. But this time, but this time, I will spare the region of Goshen, where my people live. No flies will be found there. Glory to God, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Then you will know, oh, there it is again. Let's say that again. Then you will know, then you will know that I am the Lord and that I am present even in the heart of your land. Now, love verse 23. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. You know, God still makes clear distinctions between his people and those who reject him. You might call it the favor of God. You might call it ease of life or whatever it is. It's not that those people don't go through problems. That's not it, because Jesus said in this world, you're gonna have problems. But there's something about walking with God in this world. There's something about even witnessing the righteous when they fall, they get up. They do not let the troubles of the world weigh them down. They are not defined by their past mistakes. They, they, they walk by faith and they learn to walk by faith over and over and over and over again. One of the things that reminds me of these plagues are the Miller moths. 
Oh my word, Miller moths every year come right around May and they, they migrate over here. First time I was in Colorado Springs and I was going to Bible college there and I remember uh, witnessing Miller moths coming across and we were in, our, in, a, in, a, in a room where we were learning. It was like a, a doctrine of holiness class or something as I remember. But the professor there, his name's Warrington, Professor Warrington was there and somehow all these moths came into the classroom and I just remember they were just flying like this all over the classroom. I mean, I remember watching our professor leaning up against the chalkboard, just staring at it and saying, I can't teach like this. It was just amazing. Uh, you know, they're just dust with wings, right? Um, but, but that's what I think about every time I think about those Miller moths. And I want you to hear this. You can be swarmed with problems and still have a stubborn heart. You can be swarmed with problems and still have a stubborn heart. Some of you don't wait for it to get worse. Turn to God now. Turn to God with all of your heart now. Some of us just are able to coexist with problems and you have a hard life and you convince yourself that's your, that's your card in life. It's, it's not, it doesn't have to be that way. The fifth one has to do with livestock. Chapter nine, God says this, go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, let my people go. Oh, here it is, so they can worship me. I have a feeling the Lord wants us to hear that. I, 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 it wasn't in my notes, but the Lord keeps stirring my heart every time I read that. And, and I, w- I want you to hear that. Let my people go so they can worship me. I think we're going to be tested, guys. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will strike all your livestock, your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats with a deadly plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction, here it is, between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animals will die. Mm. Sometimes God will take away the thing that you've been leaning on. Sometimes God does that. Could be that guy, that girl, could be that job, whatever it is. Sometimes we have a tendency to lean on the wrong thing. And these Egyptians, they had many gods related to cattle. And, and, and you see all of, all of the, the death of livestock, you see that happening. It makes me wonder, what were they thinking when they looked at Goshen and all of their livestock was fine? Nothing was happening over there. The sixth one has to do with boils, which I think is the most disgusting. Verse eight, then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses... Toss it into the air while Pharaoh watches. You know, Moses, or Pharaoh had to be thinking, oh my, what is he tossing up now and what is it gonna become? The ashes will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, causing festering boils to break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took suit from a brick kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. As Pharaoh watched, Moses threw the suit into the air and boils broke out on people and animals alike. Even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and just as the Lord had predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. So this sixth plague involved 
um, several gods in Egypt, but they were all related to health and disease. There was a goddess with the power over disease, and there was another goddess with the power to heal. So this plague right here has to do with illness. Boils. The seventh one is hail. Chapter nine says this, so tomorrow at this time, <clears throat> tomorrow at this, and incidentally from here on, these plagues are broken up into three groups. Plagues one, two, and three are one group, and four, five, and six are another group, and seven, eight, and nine are another group. The last one, tenth, just stands all by itself. But the, 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 these, the third group right here, seven, eight, and nine, it becomes more and more severe. So tomorrow at this time, I will send a hailstorm more devastating than any in all the history of Egypt. Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls. You ever just witnessed a hailstorm here in Colorado? You know, I, when a big old hailstorm happens, and sometimes I just open my garage door and I just watch it. And it's just like, look at the size of that hail. Golf ball size, whatever it is. We don't know how big this was in inches, but it was big. Some of Pharaoh's officials, oh, listen to this. Some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord had said. Pharaoh's officials, Gentiles, non-Hebrews. They quickly brought their servants and livestock in from the fields. But those who paid no attention to the word of the Lord left theirs out in the open. Isn't that beautiful how God provides this warning and you have people who are living in Egypt, Egyptians who worshiped 114 gods, but they heard the word of the Lord through the mouth of Moses, but they didn't ignore it. They said, you know what? I don't know what's going on with Pharaoh and why he's so stubborn, but get all the cows in and let's call all of our friends and say, come on inside. And they were spared. It's a beautiful picture of how God's grace goes across borders. Aren't you glad you have a God who loves every race, loves every tribe, every language. We're all made in the image of God and God loves us and we all need redemption. We all need his grace. Sometimes God gives warnings and it's an act of his grace. It's an act of his grace. <clears throat> this hail was unlike anything that was seen before. I'm gonna go to number eight, the locust here. Chapter 10, verse three says this. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, how long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so, well, let's just say it out loud, guys. We, I, it's sticking out enough so they can... So they can worship me. One more time. So they can. If you refuse, watch out. For tomorrow I will bring a swarm of what church? Nasty. Right, baby? On your country. They will cover the land so that you won't be able to see the ground. Wow. They will devour what little is left of your crops after the hailstorm, including all the trees growing in the fields. So after the hailstorm, a lot of crops undoubtedly were damaged. And now God sends these locusts to literally eat up anything that's remaining. Sometimes, sometimes we're just so stubborn, it takes so much 
for us to turn to God. And as long as you have breath, the grace of God is over you. As long as you have breath, God wants you to know him as provider. God takes care of all of their crops and God is sending this message to all of Egypt, to all of Israel, that he is the one who provides. He's the one who provides. You have to be careful when it comes to money. It's so easy to trust in money. And if you have a lot of money, it's really easy for you to trust money. It's harder for you to trust God because you have so much. But when you have little, it's a lot easier to trust God because you recognize he is the one who provides. Number nine was this, involving darkness. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. Have you ever been in darkness like that? So thick that you can feel it. If we shut off all the lights in this room, it still is not dark enough. If we shut off all the lights in this building, it still wouldn't be dark enough. Have you ever been in darkness so thick that you can feel it? So Moses lifted his hand to the sky and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for how many days? During all that time, the people could not see each other and no one moved. I just have this picture of like, well, I don't know where I'm at, so I'm just gonna sit here for three days. I'm just gonna sit here. I'll sleep here, I'll sit here. I don't think I'm gonna eat. There's something about being in darkness. Something about when we go through a time of darkness, we, we, there's some fears that we have to work through and, and all of a sudden some things that we see that maybe we didn't see before. And it's a time for us to turn to God. You have a God who is able to reach you in the darkest of darkest places. You have a God who is able to reach you. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter how far you've been running. Doesn't matter that you can't see yourself in the mirror. You have a God who is able to reach you. This is an amazing. Verse, verse 23 says, but there was light as usual where the people of Israel lived. So apparently it was darkness everywhere, but they couldn't even see the light in Goshen. Somehow God just divinely, supernaturally blocked it because it was so dark. They were sitting down and they weren't moving anywhere and they felt the darkness. I had a family member visiting us once. I don't want to tell you who it was because he might be watching online or something. But this family member, I was really trying to work. He's not a Christian and, and, and he came in and, and hung out with us and, and I was talking to him about God, talking to him about Jesus and he had he didn't want anything to do with God, didn't want anything to do with church, didn't want anything. And I just kept pushing probably too much. But anyway, so uh, we went camping. And when we were out camping under the stars, uh, we, this is uh, Golden Gate Canyon, it was just dark. It was super dark. And he said, I need to run to the restroom. And I said, okay, just head down that road. It's over there. So he got there okay. But when he got out, he was confused. And you know, when it's dark like that, it's pretty easy when you're in the forest to get confused. So he came out and he, he, he went left instead of right. And then he went right instead of left. And he was gone for like an hour, hour and a half. He was, we're like waiting and waiting and waiting. And he didn't show up. By the time he showed up, his countenance looked different. He had worked through fear. And he talked about this 
darkness that he felt. And then he tells me, Reuben, if you want to talk to me about God, I'm okay with it now. <laughs> so he told me, true story. <laughs> There's something about darkness that humbles ourselves. We realize we're not as big as we think we are. We're not as smart. We're not in control as much as we think we are. The last one, guys. The 10th plague. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt. From the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant girl who grinds the flour. Even the firstborn of all the livestock will die. Wow, even the cows. Then a loud wail will rise throughout the land of Egypt. A wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. I can't imagine. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know Say that with me out loud. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Then God tells him, here's what you need to do. You need to find a lamb, an unblemished lamb. And you need to kill that lamb. And you need to spread it on the door post, on the frame of your door. And he tells them, I'm going to send an angel of death that's going to go down the streets. Stay off the streets. Stay off the streets. And when that angel of death walks by, and when he sees that blood on that doorpost, that angel of death is going to keep, keep going. It's going to keep going. Exactly that's what happened. There was a great wailing that happened. I can't imagine the Israelites who were behind their door and they were covered by the blood of the lamb. When you flip pages, well, who's the Passover lamb in the New Testament? Who's the one? Remember John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. It's Jesus. And because of the blood of Jesus, because of his blood, we can experience the forgiveness of our sins. It's not because of our own righteous acts. It's not because of our own reasoning. It's not because we're good people and we recycle. It's not any of that stuff. It has nothing to do with your zip code, where you live, your address. It's entirely because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's available for all of us who turn to him and say, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my God and my hope is in you. God, my hope is in you. My hope is in your word. I can't see you, I know you're the invisible God, but I see your creation and I hear your word and I feel something inside of my heart. So God, I'm putting my faith in you. And Jesus is Lord of my life. Anybody with me? Jesus is Lord of my life. He's Lord of my life, so it doesn't matter what problem I go through. There's an incredible freedom that comes with saying, God, I will accept all of you. I will accept all of you. Jesus becomes our Passover lamb. He becomes our Passover lamb. In verse 33, I'll just end with this. All the Egyptians 
urged the people of Israel to what? To get out. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> get out. Get out of the land as quickly as possible for they thought we will all die. We're going to die. You know what's crazy about this story? I just encourage you to read these chapters, guys, because it's just so rich. But it's crazy. is God tells the Hebrews, I want you to tell the Egyptians to give you silver and gold and valuables. And they have such a fear for the God of the Hebrews, the God of Moses. They've witnessed this perhaps over a period of nine months. And they say, here, here, come to my jewelry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you in my underwear drawer. Here, here's these pearls. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in my junk drawer. It's behind this. I've got some diamonds. I hide it between my mattresses. Here, let me just take it. I'm, I'm telling everyone where all your secret spots are right now. I can tell you. Uh, you. Just take it, take it, take it, take it. And then they're saying, okay. And what are they going to do? They're going to leave. Why? So they can worship God. So they can worship God. What an incredible opportunity we have that we can worship God. When you come to church, when you're watching online, you should be belting it out and worshiping God with all of your heart. You're pledging your trust and faith in the God of Moses, in Jesus Christ. You're saying, I'm not of this world. I'm just passing through it. And my God, I love and I worship. Even though I had a hard week, I'm going to worship you, God. That's the way you kick the devil in the teeth. I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to praise you, God. And I'm going to worship through the valley. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to worship him. By the time the Israelites left Egypt, they had a new perspective of who God was. By the time they left in fact, when you flip the pages, you discover it's not until the Red Sea that they truly fear God. But it's during this time, they're just like a fly on the wall. <laughs> they're a fly on the wall watching all this thing go down. And God protects them from five big ones. And they're watching. What's God doing in your heart? What's God doing in your heart? Do you need to turn to God? Turn to God right now. Turn to God right now. God, we humble ourselves before you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Would you just have your way, God? Lord, I, I want to pray for those people who want to turn to Jesus. And if that's you and you're watching online or you're here in person and you just are ready to give your life to Jesus, would you say this? Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I confess you are Lord, and I believe with my heart, and I confess with my lips, Lord. I want to become a new Christian, so do some surgery in me. Give me a new heart, and put your Holy Spirit inside of me. Give me strength that I don't have to live a life before you, God. Others of you might need to say, God, help me to trust you in a new way. I want to know you, God. I recognize you are God, and help me not to fear. Help me to trust you, Lord. Help me to look to you when I need to be encouraged. Help me to be careful what I feed my mind with. I give you all of my praise, God. Be with me, God. Oh, maybe this is your prayer. Be with me, God, and protect me. 
Oh, some of you need to say this prayer. Just say, God, protect me. Protect my home. Watch over us. Keep us healthy. Be our God. Protect us from that COVID-19 virus in the name of Jesus, Lord. Thank you, God, for who you are. We love you. And God, I want to pray for those who are about to give. Bless those who give because you are the provider. And they honor you with a tithe or they will honor you with their offering. Whatever it is, God, bless them, God, as we do this as an act of worship. We worship you, God. We worship you, God. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.